super excited to, uh, to be here, honored to be here. I, uh, I woke up last week, well, I didn't wake up, it was as I was going to bed. Uh, I, I got out of bed with this message burning on my heart, and I, I essentially wrote the entire thing then and there, and I believe that there's uh, a word from the Lord for this group. Uh, and I'm coming tonight with a bit of a prophetic heartbeat. Uh, something I want to release over our generation. Uh, word that I've been carrying for a while. There's a, a story in Scripture. We're going to be in 2 Kings today. If you want to start turning there, if you have your Bible, 2 Kings 6, we're going to be there. But there's a, a short little portion of a story that's just been lodged in my heart over the last year. And I feel like, whoa, the Lord's showing up. All right. And I, I feel like this is... Uh, something that the Lord's wanting to release over our generation. And I was thinking about it in worship. I actually think that there's uh, a very specific timeline and reason why this message would be coming this week, right? The week that we're sparse here at Access. Uh, but you being here, I think, is a divine appointment. So within the church calendar, if you know, most churches actually run along a calendar. We, within our kind of free church mentality, go with Christmas and Easter. We have those parts of the church calendar, but there's a couple other things. So this last week was what's called uh, the Day of Ascent, where Jesus Christ in history ascended to the Father, to the right hand of the Father. And then this weekend, this Sunday, is actually Pentecost Sunday, where we had the, the 10 days that the, the disciples and uh, those who were with them were in the upper room waiting and praying, and then all of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind came in and filled the space, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they went out in power. And I think that, that this message, uh, in the midst of these two events, is part of the, the prophetic calling that the Lord has for us tonight. Uh, so I'll break that down a little bit more. This is less of a teaching and more of an impartation in prayer over our generation. We're going to be talking about kind of like a childlike faith or eyes to see and ears to hear specifically is what we're talking about. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for uh, the things that you are already in the midst of doing in our presence. And Father, we pray... Uh, outright, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, like Paul's prayer, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and God, that we would be able to comprehend, to be able to see the glorious riches of our inheritance in you, Jesus Christ. Christ, we focused on you in worship tonight, and we want to focus on you within this message. Father, I pray that hearts and minds would uh, be fertile soil to, re to receive the word uh, that you have in store for us tonight. So, Father, I ask that you would bless my words, that they would be your words, that these would be words of the Holy Spirit coming uh, forth and into our hearts, uh, and that this would awaken our generation to be able to rise up and carry truth into the rest of our generation, into our world. And, Father, we say, have your way, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. So the title of my message tonight is A Strange New World, and that hopefully will make sense as I go. But I want to start off with two questions that I want uh, to keep before our minds as we go through the message tonight. And those two questions are, what if the mundane was far more miraculous than we ever anticipated? 
What if the ordinary was far more extraordinary than we ever gave credit for? I want us to keep that question before our mind. Second question, what if Christ was telling the truth that he would truly be with us and that his kingdom was truly at hand? So what if, what if reality, what if the mundane was far more miraculous than we ever anticipated? What if Christ was actually telling us the truth when he said, I would be with you to the end of the ages and the good news of the availability of the kingdom is actually available and at hand? I want us to keep those in mind as we go through the evening. Growing up, I, uh, I tried out for basketball, right, a couple times, and then I got cut. So I realized I wasn't going to be a school jock, so I started taking up magic, and I got really, really into magic. So I was like, well, if I can't be a jock, I'll be a nerd. Uh, <laughs> and it was great. It, it consumed my life for quite a while. And I actually loved magic far before that. And there used to be this TV show called The Greatest... Uh, world's greatest magic. If any of you guys ever seen that, it's an old, old show, but they would bring on like David Copperfield and just the amazing, amazing magicians of the world. And I actually got to meet one of them. His name is Michael Amar. I have a, a picture here. That is actually me. That was a young me uh, where I actually had hair. <laughs> I think I had the Michael Amar anointing come on to me there because <laughs> it's starting to catch up. But anyway, uh, but I got to meet Michael Amar, who was uh, at the time just one of my one of my idols, just this man is amazing, absolutely incredible, one of the last living master magicians, the things that he could do sleight of hand wise, like I know what he's doing and I'm still watching him going, but I know you, how you did that, but how did you do that? Because <laughs> it looks amazing, absolutely amazing. And I loved magic. And, and I used to, so I, I helped to raise my niece and when she was about four or five, I started showing her different magic tricks and she thought I was the coolest person on the face of the planet. She's like, uncle could rip a rubber band in half and then put it back together. It's amazing. And she just thought I was amazing. So my wife and I decided one year for Christmas that we were going to get her a magic set for Christmas. She said, oh, she loves magic. Every time she sees me, she wanted to see another magic trick. Uh, so we got her a magic set different things. She opens it up during Christmas, and the first thing, we help her open it up, and I, I start showing her what the things do, right? There's one where you could put, like, a pencil through a dollar bill, and she's like, oh, my word. Another one where you could put, like, a coin in a box, and then all of a sudden it disappears, and she's like, this is the coolest thing ever. So then, so then I go, well, why don't you try? But I was still doing, like, all the trapdoor stuff, so she's like, oh, I'm magic, and, and she was blown away. She's like, I have the anointing, and then I showed her the trick behind it, and I crushed her. She started crying because she realized, wait a second, oh, there's a trick to it. Oh, wait a second, there's a trap door to it. Oh, wait a second. And I crushed her spirit. I stole from her her wonder and enchantment. Has anyone ever watched... TV show Penn and Teller Fool Us? You guys ever see that? No? I actually really enjoy the show. So Penn and Teller, again, some of the last living master magicians, uh, created this TV show to where they invite other magicians on there to fool us. Uh, and they make a big deal out of it and all sorts of things. Do you know what Penn and Teller, they say this on the show. Do you know what they're actually looking for in bringing these magicians on? They're looking to have reestablished in them the same awe and wonder that my niece had before I crushed her dreams. 
That's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody to come in front of them and show them something that they can no longer comprehend and draws them into awe and wonder. And I believe that magic entices us, at least enticed me, because it reaches into our souls and grabs at the mystery and wonder that we were created for. The mystery and wonder that actually allows us to make better sense of reality. Emily and I recently had a son, Samuel. Yes, this is the left photo. Thank you. Yeah, he's cute. He's amazing. Emily gave birth, and then the doctor came up and gave us a blue ribbon, said he was the best baby they've ever given birth to. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But no, so this uh, left photo was from this morning. Uh, It was so cute. Emily had a dentist appointment, so I spent like an hour and a half with him. It was amazing. I like beatboxed for him and stuff. I'm a terrible beatboxer, but again, he thought I was the best. (laughs) On the right, I was reading uh, Early Church Father on the Incarnation. So he's already, look at his face. He's already really enjoying deep theological studies. I love it. (laughs) But look at these eyes. I know. He's cute. And honestly, if if pooping was like an Olympic event, this dude would get the gold medal. <laughs> I mean, his diapers are impressive. <laughs> They're incredible. It's the only trick he knows right now. He's like, hey, I can laugh and poop, uh, which is great. But these eyes, one of the things that I've, I've just watched as my son is experiencing this strange new world that he's found himself in. For nine months, he was in a bubble. Literally, in my wife's belly, which is crazy. I said to my wife one time when she was pregnant, I said, you have two souls in you right now. This is like, that blows my mind, isn't it? <laughs> but he's, he's experiencing this whole strange new world, and he has so much awe and wonder. I bring him from light, and then I walk, like, his nursery is on one end of the hall, and then our bedroom where he sleeps in the bassinet is on the other end. So I'll walk through the hall, and it's dark in the hall, and all of a sudden his eyes are like <laughs> looking around like, what's going on? This is new. We just brought him upstairs, which is a whole new world. This morning I brought him downstairs into the laundry room because I had to get toilet paper, and he's like, this is crazy. And I just love watching him. He's filled with awe in wonder as he takes in this strange new world. I wonder, when was the last time all of life was mysterious to you? When's the last time that that you were driving into church, driving into work, driving someplace else, walking and looking around and just being consumed with awe and wonder at what is beside you. There's a a great Christian classic. It's a a book that I highly recommend anybody read. It's it's called, uh, oh, what is it called? (laughs) Brother, Brother Lawrence wrote it. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. Amazing, amazing book. It's about a monk who who is literally practicing the presence of God. But this monk, his name was Nicholas, which is a great name, uh, came to receive Christ because he was contemplating a tree in front of him that had lost all its leaves. And the fact that the, the cyclical cycle that he was 
He was observing, going, in the spring, leaves are going to sprout back up, and I don't understand how there must be a grand designer out there that would design it to do this on a yearly basis. That's all he needed. Receive Christ. When's the last time we looked at a tree and fell to our knees and wanted to worship the Lord? I find myself praying to see as Samuel, my son, sees right now and how he'll see over the next few years. Eyes of mystery and wonder. Eyes to see the magic of it all. And I think there's a specific reason why Jesus said in order to receive the kingdom of heaven, we must become as a child. What do you suppose he meant by that? In order to receive the kingdom of heaven, we must become like a child. What do you think he meant by that? Imagine him saying that to you and you sitting there going, huh? He has a child pointing to him. Imagine him holding Samuel. There, yeah. He says, unless you become like this, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't even comprehend the things of the kingdom of heaven unless you become like this. Could it be that we have, or could it be that children have a more available sense to pick up what God is doing all around than we enlightened, all-knowing adults? Could it be that we have developed eyes that miss it rather than eyes that see? Ears that have selective hearing, which is one thing that Emily tells me I have, <laughs> rather than ears that hear. Could it be that Christ is inviting us into a way of observing the world that reinstills awe and wonder in the ability to see things in a completely different way? What if the Bible was pointing us to something that looked more like the awe and wonder of my son receiving the world as a strange and mysterious place? The Swiss theologian Karl Barth says that the Bible opens us up to a strange new world, the world of God. More specifically, the world of God at work in the world around us. Karl Barth would normally say that you would read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other because in reading this, it opens you up to what God's doing in this. I wonder what it would look like to have eyes to see to be able to see this strange new world of God at work in and around us. Does this make sense? I like that they didn't give me a timer, so I'm just going to go until I stop. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. Deal. Someone else is like, I wish I would have spoken up first. <laughs> Five minutes, wrap it up, dude. <laughs> when we look at the world around us, do we see the strange space of God's interaction? Or do we just see the natural and the lack that comes with it? Do we hear the whisper of the Spirit or the shouting of the threefold enemy of our soul, malformed flesh, the devil, and the world? 
Which are our ears attuned to? And what are we looking at? What are we seeing? So, like I said, we're going to be in 2 Kings 6. If you have your Bible, open up to it. If you don't have your Bible, bring it next week. It's a great thing to have with you in church. Toward the beginning of 2 Kings, we see this brilliant story. And and I'll I'll give you kind of the the catch-up to where we're going to start. So, Elijah in 1 Kings is the prophet doing all sorts of prophety things. Man of God goes up in a, a flaming chariot to the Lord, and Elijah, or Elisha, right? This is where it gets confusing, right? Why does the scripture have to use such like, confusing names? Elijah passes his mantle off to Elisha, and Elisha now becomes the prophet that goes out, and we're following through the story of Second Kings. Well, there's a, a king of Aram who is doing all sorts of things, wanting to, to attack the Israelites and attack the king of Israel. And he keeps sending troops out to attack the king of Israel. And this is where we get at 2 Kings 6. This is what happens at the beginning. And Elisha starts getting word from the Lord of what this king of Aram is trying to do to Israel. So he keeps telling the king of Israel, hey, they're going to come and get you here. You need to move. So you'd move. And then the king of Aram would find out where they moved, send troops, and then Elisha would spoil his plans again and go, no, 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 you need to move again, he's coming. And the king of Aram starts to catch on and goes, how does Israel know what's going on? Do we have a mole? Do we have somebody who's given them insider information? And his troops go, it's this man of God. We can't get past him. Elisha keeps telling them and they keep moving. So he goes, send all of our troops over to Elisha. Let's get him. So, Now, I've set up the the story. Now we get to a place to where it's just Elisha and his servant. It's the two of them. They're in a city. They're hunkered down in the city. And this is where we start reading. 2 Kings 15. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll break it down here in a second. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots. Whoops. There we go. An army with horses and chariots, was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's the two of them. Remember, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I'm going to read through. I'm going to spoil the ending, and then we're going to go back and tell it again. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots on fire all around Elisha. Super short, but let's break down what we're talking about here. This is what's been lodged in my heart. This is what I feel like the Lord is looking to release over us tonight, is this prayer. So the servant, in his terror... Asked Elijah, what are we going to do? His eyes are fixed on what? The war horses and the chariots that are surrounding the city. He's seeing what's going on on earth. He's coming back to Elijah and saying, do you not see? Elijah goes, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. He goes, those who are with us 
My dad used to go, what, do you have a mouse in your pocket? What, do you got a mouse in your pocket? Like, who's those who are with us? He's looking around. The city's empty, except for all the chariots that are against them. He's going, uh, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. And Elisha is looking at him going, no, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. So he prays. The only thing, think about this. Like He comes out there, the servant, he's looking around. The only thing he sees is the chariots. The only thing he hears is his knees knocking together as he's like terrified of what's going on. And Elijah prays the most simple prayer. Doesn't even have these and nows in it. No, just kidding. If we would have read in the King James, it would have. Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Where are we at here? There we go. Open his eyes that he may see. And the servant's shaking knees turned to steadfast legs as his eyes were enlightened to see chariots of blazing fire with angelic horses that covered the hill in all directions. Those who were with them. Opened eyes simply revealed what was already at work around them. Notice Elijah didn't pray, God send chariots of fire. He prayed, open his eyes, because the chariots of fire were already there. The angelic forces were already there, showing up to overwhelm the things that were overwhelming his servant. All he needed was a prayer for his eyes to be open in order to see God's activity already at work around him. Say that with me. Already at work, work around him. What was the question that I asked us to keep before our mind? What if the mundane is far more miraculous than we ever give credit for? Think back to, to Adam and Eve when we talk about the mundane being far more miraculous than we ever imagined. Adam and Eve had a garden that was planted for them by the Lord. And, and when we think about it, the, the way that they were going about the garden had to have been different than the way that we would go about a garden with our natural eyes. How many of you guys know what the fruit of life or the fruit of, tree or of knowledge of good and evil look like? And he goes, I have no clue. <laughs> Me neither. But Adam and Eve had a way of perceiving this tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they could pluck a fruit of knowledge of good and evil and eat. There was a, a supernatural presence on a natural reality. The tree that carried something that's beyond what we would typically call fruit. I, I don't know about you. I don't have a tree of knowledge of good and evil in my backyard. That'd be interesting. Be really cool. I could pay for admission for people to come see it, right? But it says in there, the, the Hebrew says it was pleasing to the sight. That Eve saw that it was pleasing to the sight. You know that that language, pleasing to the sight, doesn't come back again until we see Moses walking through the desert and all of a sudden he looks over and he sees a bush that's on fire but it's not being consumed. Again, the mundane bush miraculous with a fire 
from above. And we see where characters in Scripture are walking through reality with eyes to see in a completely different way. Completely different way. But this is all fiction, isn't it? Some will tell you that the Old Testament is all allegory. You can't believe that. It's not, it's not truth. It's all fiction. But I am here to tell you tonight that it is true. It is true. It is true. It is more true than the true that we typically label as true. It is true. I was listening to a guy named Frederick Beekner uh, a couple months ago, and he was saying, he said, every time a pastor walks up to the pulpit, the congregation sits there, and they're waiting for the pastor to look out and tell them, it is true. And I feel like I am sent here today to tell you it is true. I will say it multiple times as we go on. It is real. It is beyond real. It is the real that establishes what we tend to think of as real. So can I go through some things that just like blow my mind? I want to bring us back to this place of awe and wonder. I want us to be like my niece or like my son looking at the magic or looking at the lights in the house and just being filled with awe and wonder. Can I invite us into that tonight? Can I share some things that constantly break my brain? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth out of nothing. The Greek terminology here is creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. And we go, oh yeah, I've read Genesis 1, I know this. No, this breaks my brain, absolutely breaks my brain. No previous material to compile creation, just the substance of God's voice. Somebody comes up to me and tells me how I should run my life. I want, I want to see them create something out of their voice before I take what they have to say as, as plausible. Our God, Jesus Christ, Father God, Holy Spirit, created out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. I love that. Science can break things down and tell you what a thing is, but it cannot tell you why or how a thing is. It can tell you the, the, the complexities of what make up my son and how he is a, a being, but it can't tell you why he's a being. It can't tell you how he's a being. Hear me right, I'm not opposed to science. Science, when it's rightfully done in its lane, actually gives us beautiful things to be able to comprehend within the expanse of God's creativeness. Absolutely amazing. So I'm not against science. But I am saying that science points us to things, but it misses other things that God created out of nothing. But think about this for a second. God created 
everything from nothing. Everything? Nothing. Travis, you got it, man. Travis is here with me. No thing to make everything. Wrap your mind around that. We can't. Because in your and my life, in our time, there has been no time where there has been no thing but everything. (laughs) You get that? Does it feel like I'm yelling at you? I had an extra cup of coffee today, so it's the coffee. I'm just... Yeah, I am hype. We cannot fathom this. But it's time we start to realize that there is much more than meets the carnal eyes if we would simply have eyes to see. Not only that, but in creating everything out of nothing, he is still holding all things together by the sound of his word, the sound of his voice. We'll talk about that here in a second. I'll give some scriptures, but... The same sound of his voice that created everything from nothing holds all things together and is actively bringing all things back together for his good purposes. Profound. Throwing things. We could sit on this for the rest of eternity, and I, I kind of wonder if we won't. <laughs> you know? if, if all of life is to behold all of God, No wonder he gives us all of eternity to do so, because it would take nothing less. Say it with me. Wow. Wow. Whoa. No, with the, like, you got to get the throat thing. Whoa. Whoa. Thank you. I'm here to tell you today that it's real. More real than what we limit it to. Are you ready for it to get even wilder? All right, in my very limited understanding of quantum physics, you're like, what? This just took a giant turn. (laughs) Bear with me here. Very limited understanding, but I I just love watching videos that I don't understand and just marveling at it. I'm like, you guys are so smart. (laughs) At a molecular level, matter is broken down into elements like protons, neutrons, electrons. You probably learned these things through like K through 12. These break down even further into what's called quarks, which are held together by gluon forces. And this is where it gets profoundly interesting. I'm not making a a dogmatic statement out of this. I just go, when I hear this, I can't help but to marvel in this way. Okay? Bear with me. So, matter cannot exist without a minimum of three quarks. Right? If we break this, so we take this table, we cut it in half, cut it in half again, cut it in half again, keep going, keep going, keep going. Then you end up, like, finally you cut it in half, and it's like, oh, we found some quarks. All right. No? Okay. Good. I feel like a madman up here, but it's great. (laughs) But the, the interesting thing is, so matter cannot exist without a minimum of three quarks. Three quarks, they say, is the the basic compounds that build, and then you can add things on top of that. But every matter comes down to three quarks first and foremost. And those three quarks... I don't know how to other describe this. Again, I'm not a quantum physicist. But those three quarks have to, like, in order for creation to exist, equal a, a positive one. Three in one. Like, I hear this and I go, oh, that's a Trinitarian fingerprint right there. 
Not only that, but the quarks are held together by these gluons, which, to my understanding, is, is very similar to the way that, that uh, photons go back and forth, and it's light and sound in frequencies and waves that are binding things together. There's energy made forth by the sound of his voice. That one of the first things that God creates in Genesis 1, is says, let there be light. That, that all of these things are, are made at the molecular level of the very things that we see within Scripture is the creative force that makes all of matter. Is that cool? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. You said, so there's this guy in our first uh, program. His name is Mark. I love Mark. He's awesome, and I can't wait to see him this summer. But he would just hear things. And I just love the mystery, awe, and wonder of Mark because he would just go, whoa. <laughs> and it was just like, that's what I want us to do tonight. Whoa. Okay. One, two, three. Whoa. Yeah, thank you. All right. You guys are like, okay, bring Pastor Jake back. <laughs> so, Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Talking about Jesus Christ. And he upholds the universe by the what? Word of his power. By his word. His word is the very thing that spoke creation into existence. His word is the very thing that upholds creation. His word is the very thing that brings all things back together in him. He is powerful. He is our Lord. And he is worth worshiping. But even more so, it is real. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. This is out of the Phillips translation. Uh, Pastor Merle on our staff got me into this translation. I just love the way that it breaks some things down. Now Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. He existed before creation began. And it was through him that everything was made, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. Do you see what we're doing? He's, he's encompassing all that we're talking about right now. Through him and for him also were created power and dominion, ownership and authority. In fact, every single thing was created through and for him. He is both the first principle and the upholding principle of the whole scheme of creation. I love that language. And now he is the head of the body which is composed of all Christian people. Life from nothing began through him and life from the dead began through him. And he is therefore justly called the Lord of all. How magnificent is that? Can you read that and not come to a place of awe and wonder? What Paul's saying here is there's so many things at work in Christ. He is created from nothing. He's sustaining in nothing, or sustaining by the same word that created not from nothing. And then in that, there's nothing that he isn't doing. He is constantly at work in and around our midst. If we would be like Elisha's servant and have eyes to see. I want to pause. I may have put this in a, another place in my, my message, but one of the things that I felt when I was praying over tonight is that there are individuals in here, you've been crying out for God to do something, and he's looking to give you eyes to see what he's already at work doing. Christ's work was finished on the cross. There is an ever-flowing stream of grace 
from the cross through the rest of eternity. He is already at work in our midst. We need to be awakened to what God's doing already on our behalf. Romans 8 tells us that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Takes things that are meant for evil. Some of you guys go, no, you don't understand what I'm seeing in my life. And Elijah's going, no, you don't understand what Christ is doing in your life. If we would raise our eyes from what's happening around us to what's happening in the heavenlies, if we would raise our eyes from the circumstances that are overwhelming us to the Christ, man himself, who is overwhelming creation. He had the power to create from nothing. He has the power to make whatever it is that's overwhelming you overwhelmed. You can count on it. This is real. Paul continues, verse 19, 20, again in the Phillips. It was in him that the full nature of God chose to live and through him that God planned to reconcile in his own person, as it were, everything on earth, in everything in heaven by virtue of the sacrifice of the cross. Here's where I get absolutely rocked. Like, I mean, humbled, brought to my knees. The same God who we know is three persons partaking in one essence or substance. We call this the Trinitarian Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That same God who created something from nothing, creatio ex nihilo, who formed mankind from the dust of his cosmic creation and breathed his very life into us, making us in his image and likeness, that very God, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that God stepped into our broken shell of a body, bent it on itself, turned away or bent in on itself. So if you've been here before, we've talked about incurvatus insi, that sinful nature where we're bent in on self. So he stepped into that nature, bent in on self, turned away from not only him, but his work in all creation. He took up our frame and began bending it back toward him. This blows my mind. This is the recreation story. This is the redemption story. This is what God is doing in our midst. When I look at any of you in here, what I see is Christ pursuing your heart, looking to bend you back to the Lord and bring you into his image and likeness. That's what I see in our midst. You come in, you might go, you don't understand what I experienced this week. And I go, you have yet to understand what Christ is looking to do in you right here and now. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. He took our frame, began bending it back towards him. He took our eyes and raised them high to see his work on the mountaintops that surround us. And he began to breathe his life back into us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He sent for the Spirit, or forth the Spirit to fill our hearts. Again, Pentecost Sunday coming up this weekend. If you have not received the Spirit, if you have not yet received the Spirit, tonight's the night. Like, we'll pray for it at the end here. But tonight's tonight. It's pointless to go through the rest of life without being infilled by Christ's Spirit Himself. 
that gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, that opens us up to this strange new world, the world of God at work around us. To open our hearts, open our eyes, unstop our ears, and to be able to awe and wonder, marvel and amaze, look and see, listen and hear to that very voice recreating that which he created in the first place. I'm here today to tell you this is real. It's the real you've been looking for your entire life. It's the real you saw as a kid and lost as you mastered life on your own accord. Jesus started his ministry and went through his ministry preaching. The terminology here is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We could say it this way. He says, repent, change the way you are looking at reality because the availability of the kingdom is here and now. I want, if you guys would, I do this in class for our students. Put your hands, I would say out like this, but there's people next to you. So put them in front of you. Don't touch the person in front of you, okay? They don't need your creepy hands on your back. Put your hands out <laughs> and say the kingdom of heaven, and do this with your hands, is at hand. That means it's here now. Like, grab the kingdom. Yeah. That's what it sounds like when you, yeah. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He called it the kingdom of God, the realm in which God is mightily at work, and the realm in which he is constantly at work. The realm in which you do not need to beg and plead, this is what we talked about a second ago, but simply partner what, with what he is already doing in the work that he has already been doing. The realm that overwhelms this realm and will outlast this realm because it is truly eternal, because his word, his voice will not return to him void. Is this sitting well with you guys? I am amped up. <laughs> like this coffee, I'm going to get home and I'm going to be up until like 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to take first shift with Samuel. <laughs> he could poop six times and I'll still be up. It's going to be great. I never thought I'd talk about poop so much in my life. <laughs> it's seriously the conversation that I always end up in with other parents. Like, so how's he pooping? Fantastic. Glorious. Which I praise the Lord, because if he stopped pooping, that'd be an issue, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, keep moving. <laughs> you know what breaks my heart in all the right ways? Gets me out of the bed in the middle of the night to be able to write this and put this message down for you to hear tonight. Is that that very same God that created everything from nothing made you and I, despite knowing that we would rebel and curse his name, Chased us down into our brokenness, knowing we would still rebel. Knowing we would take the opportunity to see him face to face and choose instead to spit in his face and pin him to a cursed tree. That same God who humbled himself, stooped himself to bend us back up, to reveal himself to us in the only place we would be willing to look, ourselves. That God loves you and is calling you to see it is all real. And he wants a relationship with you. 
Everything I'm talking about tonight, eyes to see and ears to hear, is what we would call within our discipleship program, really what we would call within the Christian life, the life with God. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Our response is to be us with him. We're not called to do anything for God. We're called to do everything with him. And he's raising our eyes to see what he's at work doing. And then we can have the conversation with him of what would you like me to do with you? So that God wants to be your God and you to be in Christ with his people. Constantly we see throughout scripture, he says, I will be their God. They will be my people. That's the call tonight. And to be his people is to have eyes to see and ears to hear. This is one of the things that Christ purchased for us on the cross. So this is my prophetic declaration over tonight. This is what I hear for tonight. God is calling those up in our generation who would have eyes to see and ears to hear. I'm wondering if that will be you. God is calling those in our generation who will carry in their bones the message that this reality that Christ has called us to is more real than that which we often label as real. It's not a far off reality. It is a reality that is here and now and now pervading the material world around us. My mentor Dallas Willard would say that this is the divine conspiracy among us. And I'm wondering, will you respond tonight? I, I am certainly, I am the most not hype, like I'm against hype culture so much. I'm not trying to get an emotional response tonight. I'm trying to awaken hearts and minds tonight to be able to see the reality that's at hand and what God is already doing among us. I'm going to pray here in a moment. And if that's you, I'm going to give you an invitation. All you're going to do is stand up like this. I'm not going to count heads. I'm not, we're not going to do one of those things. You're just going to sit here like this in a posture of receiving because God is looking to instill and impart something tonight. For us to be able to move forward, myself included, I'm going to go, Lord, I need a double portion just as much as Elisha did to be able to look around and see God at work around us. That's what the world needs. It needs those who would be able to walk forward looking and seeing what God is doing in people's life and say, hey, let me show you. Can I look beside you and, and point to the chariots of fire to the mountains? Can I awaken your mind to what's going on? The world needs that. And I believe that God wants to send us out with it tonight. Oh, fire. Whew. Yeah. I want to begin closing with Paul's prayer and declaration over the church of Ephesus. And then it'll be a little bit. I got some more, but I'm going to begin closing, right? Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. This is Paul. He's talking about how he heard of the, the church of Ephesus. He heard of their faith and he can't stop thanking God and praying for them. And this is the prayer that he says he's been praying over them. And there's so much in here. We'll only unpack a little bit. But he says... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having, listen, the eyes of your heart enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also the one to come and all God's people said Paul has really long sentences and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills in all a lot there <laughs> thank you Paul let me, let me give the abridged version here. Paul is praying for spirit of wisdom and revelation, for eyes to see. He doesn't say it here, but let me put this here. Ears to hear. He's awakening hearts to the glorious inheritance in the saints. He's saying Christ is at work doing many things in you, and I pray that you won't miss it. Colossians 3, I don't have it up there, but Paul tells us, since then, it's right at the beginning, Colossians 3, 1 through 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Anybody in here raised with Christ? If you're a believer, that's you. It says, set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Not on things below, not on earthly things, but things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Christ is seated, but he is also still there interceding on our behalf, applying the works that he did on the cross in our everyday life. So even though he is seated, he is still at work amongst us and in us and through us. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Do you see that the Bible opens us up to a beautifully strange new world? The world of God? And it's something for us to step into. Even more so, it's something that steps into us. And we start to move forward in a completely new way as a completely new creation. This is the language that we're given within Scripture. So the lens in which the believer looks through is the lens of Christ's redemptive movement on the landscape of reality. In the same way that Elisha is able to say to his servant, those who are with us are surely greater than those who are against us, we are able to say, he who is with us in his angel armies is greater than anything else out there. Is greater than the thing that tries to overwhelm us. Is the greater than the thing that tries to give me anxiety and stress. Is greater than the thing that tries to get me locked and trapped into the pits of hell of fear and doubt. He is greater, and He is doing something right now in your life and in the life of those you love. If we would just have eyes to see. So once again, I'll, find, uh, I'll finish off with our questions. What if the mundane was far more miraculous than we initially anticipated? And I hope tonight was just a small little taste. I hope to set you on the course for needing to hunt this down in Scripture. I hope you leave here with a greater hunger and thirst of going, God, what does this look like? I heard him talk about it, but what does this look like? Would you show me? And he will. Because why? What if Christ was telling the truth? That he would be with us.
and that his kingdom was truly at hand. I'm here to tell you, it is the truth. So if you would, again, like I said, this is that time. If you want to respond to this, if you want to go, yes, I want to move forward. And if, if you go, you know, I don't really know. That's okay. You can sit. I'm not going to judge you. I won't stare at you like, come on, seriously, stand. I'm not going to do that. But if that's you, and you go, you know what? No. Go give me eyes to see, ears to hear. I want you to stand up right now and put your hands out in a posture of receiving. Father, we pray, Paul's words, God, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, God, that we would be able to comprehend, to be able to see, to be able to look and perceive what it is that you are doing in our midst. Father, we pray the, the prayer of Elisha right now, God, that, oh Lord, would you open our eyes so that we might see. Holy Spirit, we just invite you for a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit right now that we would move forth with your strength, with your power, God, that you would lead us into all truth like your word promised, that you would be our advocate, that you would be our helpmate, that you would be our paraclete, that you would produce fruit in our life, And that you would bring us to Christ-likeness. That you would open the eyes of our heart. We could perceive the miraculous. We can't do it without you. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the work. Jesus, we thank you for the work. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our midst. God, I pray for those who are coming in, the word that you gave me, those who are coming in, who are looking at their circumstances, seeing them for the things that they are, God, that, that you would tonight raise our eyes to be able to see you on the horizon of life. Your movement, your redemptive solution. And that we would be able to reach into the tangible kingdom of God and pull out security, blessing, assurance. God, bring us to conformity of your image. Make us more like your son. We're desperate. We say, have your way, have your way, have your way. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. That's it for the message portion. I just wanted to, to share real quickly. Alan had, had mentioned at, at the beginning of service, we have a discipleship program here. It's a nine-month program. Like she said, it starts up in 
uh, August 22nd. Maybe if you guys could put that slide up top, you're probably already working on it, but um, August 22nd, there is a cost to the program. There is early bird pricing that ends um, June, I believe, 16th. Um, so even if you're just interested, if you're like, I don't even know if I can get the finances around, apply now so that we can meet the early bird pricing. We have scholarships available. But honestly, we're looking at what does it look like to step into this? What does it look like to step into life with God, the with God life? What does it look like to, to live our life surrendered over to the Lord and to see his movement within our life and to be able to bring that out into our sphere of influence? It's an amazing, amazing time. We do life together. We meet here on Mondays, and then we do three retreats throughout it. Uh, and it, it's just absolutely incredible. We just finished up with this last group. You guys probably heard some of the testimonies if you were here uh, some of the last few weeks. But the Lord does miraculous, miraculous things uh, in each of our students every single year. And I just get humbled that I get to be a part of it. It's just, it's one of the greatest things that I ever get to do. I say one of because I get to raise Samuel. But uh, apart from that, apart from being my wife's husband, uh, it's the greatest thing that I get to do. And it, it's just the joy of my life. So if you want to check that out, it's reslife.org slash disciples. Get signed up now before later. Do not let finances keep you from going into it. We have scholarships. We have ways of being able to help those who might not be able to pay for it. Uh, we never want finances to be the reason why you can't take this journey and grow in your walk with the Lord. So.